0: Can you hear me on the phone? I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice. (laughs) I'm really not... You're breaking off quite badly.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Right. Where were we? I forgot. I have too. Our guest today is a star, but a rather unstarry star. Brian Cox will be familiar to anyone who has watched the HBO series Succession as the not-to-be-trifled-with media titan Logan Roy, head of the clan which exists in his shadow. He's been around for years he comes from Dundee and he lives in the states which is the sort of trajectory you expect from those who've made it do you feel you've made it
0: i really don't know what that means
1: <laughs> i mean yeah
0: i'm sort of a bit more popular now uh, uh logan roy has given me a sort of uh, image which is of course is absolutely contrary to who i am but uh it's a job and it's um and it's doing well so i'm i'm grateful you know but I, I, I've always found that whole thing about making it and being made and have you made it, I, I've never understood what that meant, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, I understand it in terms of, oh, yes, the popular with the, with the populace, but it doesn't really alter who you are. You know, you are who you are, and you have still all your insecurities and all the stuff that you've had for years, you know, and no, nothing dissuades that. Uh, you know, Do you by- think fame's worth it? Worth it? Uh, yeah, well, it's, I, I don't know. It hasn't really altered very much. I mean, especially, I mean, I won a Golden Globe this year, but, and then I directed a play with my wife in London, and then I came back and I immediately went into lockdown. So I have been in lockdown for the last, uh, well, five, well, since March, the beginning of March. So I don't feel any of the benefits of it Making that, that's all, one way or the other. I'm, I'm in my house, upstate New York, and uh, we're doing some work on it. So, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't feel any of that, no, no, not at all.
1: In the end, an actor's life is just reciting someone else's lines, isn't it?
0: Well, it's a bit more than that, Jeremy. Um, it, it, you know, it's... it's <laughs> That's that's a very crude idea. Just
1: it's sake. a belittling way to put it. I know. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's okay. It's okay. I've I've I've, I've had it put worse. Uh, no, you've got to inhabit the lines. You've got to know what you're talking about. You've got to think it through. You've got to be able to give it a a life. You know, it's not just and it's not just learning the lines. And uh, you know, it's also giving it uh, something else, which is the 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 word, the life behind the lines. The the, the human, the person, you know, who he is, who she is, you know, and that's uh, that's part of the job. You know, I, I, as you get older, you learn that when you, you're younger, you tend to do too much and you learn to do less. And as one gets older, one finites, you know, finds the work down. And uh, so, and maybe in the end, it does really become about just saying the lines, you know. <laughs> So I don't think it's a bad analogy.
1: <laughs> Do you find it gets more difficult as you get older?
0: Not at all. I find the opposite. I find I'm more in. Uh... Yeah, I, I'm. I, I feel blessed by by age. I don't feel frustrated by it. I uh, I feel that, you know, somebody once said to me when I was quite young, uh, it was going to be the long haul for me, and it's you know I'm seventy four and uh, i 've been at it for over fifty years you know in two years time i've been i 've been in this job for sixty years uh, i've you know, i 've been in the theater, so in a way i I, I found it much easier as i 've got older i i I put up with stuff more or i don 't and i 'm just quick about it no i don 't believe that that shit. Move on, or I say okay yes it's good, yeah, I can do that so actually i I find i 'm more open as I got older i I know. I don't know anything. I know even less than I did. I absolutely know bugger all about Parrington and all that kind of stuff. I'm hopeless at any of that stuff. But, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Do you ever feel you've sold out? No. What does selling out mean? I don't think I've sold out. No, I've just, you know, I've followed my mercenary calling and drawn my wages wherever I could. You know, I, I, uh, I. it's a question of, I I don't bought into the sort of the kind of career curve that was uh, sort of held up to me as a as a young man you know I mean my our tradition the the well, it's, it's much more the english tradition than the, the scottish tradition but they, the the tradition of theatre in the uk or in, in england has always been based on you know, the Lawrence Olivier's, the John Gilgoos, the Ralph Richardson's, all who I worked with, who were pretty daunting men, but also extraordinarily talented men. And they led towards a sort of, you know, where you were going. But the theatre that existed then and the structure that existed then doesn't exist anymore. I mean, even uh, people like McKellen and uh, Pat Stewart, you know, realised that very early on. Uh, well actually I was one of the first Pat Pat was probably the first because he did Star Trek but then you know McKellen was always holding off, holding off, holding off and I said you know you've got to earn a living somewhere you know and you can't and I I didn't want to be one of those you know even though I am a member of the Garrick I didn't want to be a country member I didn't want to be one of those sort of Garrick type actors you know who went on and on at the RSC forever and ever in a day and that just that's, you know, I just, I've always wanted to reinvent myself, re-challenge myself, put myself, and that's what I've done. And also I'm, I'm peripatetic, you know, I come from a peripatetic nation, a, a bunch of people who never really found their home and they just constantly move around, you know, which is what I think is the the, the Celtic legacy, really.
1: But that is selling out, isn't it?
0: In what sense selling out sorry, Jeremy, can you clarify that for me?
1: doing things because they seem to be fun rather rather than for the challenge
0: well no they 're a challenge it 's always a challenge to reinvent yourself is of course it 's a challenge you know it's it's a very challenging you know I gave up what was a pretty good theater career in the u k and i decided i 'll tell you a story. I decided that I would go to America because i as a kid, it was the movies you know. Uh, I still have, I have enormous problems with America. I don't particularly love America, but there was, we didn't really have a movie industry. We had a very good television industry, Uh, but our movie industry was, you know, we made great movies, but we never really had an industry. So I decided that after I'd done, played King Lear, Titus Andronicus at the RSC, King Lear at the National, I decided it was time to go back or go on to something that I really was interested in, which was film. And I went to, I went to, well, I was actually producing a TV show in, uh, about acting, funny enough, uh, about acting classes with Prunella Scales and Richard Wilson and I think ultimately Jack Shepard. And then I got the call to go on a, a film because I'd been to L.A. I went to L.A. and stayed there for five weeks didn't like it very much, I'm not not particularly lover of LA, it's okay it's not as bad as people make out but I, I just thought I'll go and then I discovered that I was playing, you know, that they wanted me to play supporting roles and I remember meeting Nigel um, Hawthorne on a plane and he was saying to me, you know Oh, I can't do that anymore. I can't do it, and I said, "Why, Nigel?" He said, "Well, you know, I, am an act. I, you know, I have, I have some status now as an actor." And I said, "Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we've all been there." I said, "Yeah, then I feel I have to inhabit that status." I said, "Well, a role is a role." I said, "You know, I, I've learned from working in films that, are, you know, that most roles are." You know, they're like, the, there's no bread on either side of them. They're just all meat and no, it's not really, it's not really a proper sandwich. I said, but then you make what the sandwich is. That's what you do. You create a, a context for what you do. And I've been lucky that I was able to do that. And he said, yeah, but I am, I am a certain kind, you know, I've, 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 discussed, I said, yeah, but you, you started at the Royal Court and you used to play all the Brits at the Royal Court. And I remember that. You're from South Africa. And then you made your way into television and did an extraordinarily successful television series, Yes Minister. But we move on. We shift. And, you know, and then I said, you know, and the thing about movies is I, I follow the great adage of Michael Powell, the great filmmaker, who said in movies, there are no big parts and small parts there are only long parts and short parts. So you're in a movie for a short amount of time or a long amount of time. And it's kind of, it is an egalitarian art form, unlike where we are, where we come from, you and I, which is all about structure and where you are in your place and where your place is, you know. And I was always very conscious of that as a, a, as a kid coming from Dundee to go into study because I had to learn how to speak to, at Lambda and had a, the best time of my life. But I knew that I had to make these adjustments. So all the time I've had to do that in order to be in that society, that world of the, of the British or English theatre, which wasn't necessarily a world that I, was, I wanted to conquer, but I wasn't particularly happy with, you know? Is there anything you still want to play? Uh, whatever the role is, whatever, it's challenging. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably... I'm at an age now where I think, you know, I've been thinking that I'd like to revisit maybe Leah and... That's certainly been... That's certainly come to me. And uh, I thought, man, it'd be nice to really... You know, when I played it, I was 44 when I played it, and it was an exhausting role, but I think I I think I think could maybe be, be a little finer in that role now.
1: Do you like playing bad guys?
0: Well, you know, I, I had a problem with that at one time in my career. Uh, when I was playing, I played a lot of bad guys, and, as you know, I, I created Hannibal Lecter. And... Uh, I, I was, I had a, I, I, you yeah, know, this was in the 90s. I was having, yeah, it was just before I came here. And I, 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 I L.A., because I used to live in L.A., but I, I live in the East Coast now. And I just thought, yeah, all these bad guys, this is a good thing. And then I realized that, you know, that I'm playing essentially the human beings who've gone wrong, who are flawed, and, of course, that's much more interesting in playing people who are flawed because you, you understand where the root is, what's happened to them, why they have taken, you know, you know why did Adolf Hitler become Adolf Hitler? You know, why did, you know, Mussolini become Mussolini? And, and, and various kind of the dark characters in nature, and, of course, they are in drama. You know, Macbeth is a great example, and you think, well, what, what, what? what? And, that, and that becomes fascinating. You realize you're... You're serving something. You're not just playing a bad guy. You're playing a bad guy, and I think I, you know, I think my record is quite good. I've played people who are essentially human beings, as well as being just bad. You know, what do you like when you're alone? When I'm alone, I actually you... lo- I love being alone. It's my favorite thing, actually i I spend a lot of my time I have done because i i 'm up here I might I have my my wife 's here, but I also have a little cabin which I normally work from i 'm not working from the cabin today i 'm working from my house and i I love being alone i i really I cherish it i I cherish my own space i 'm coming back to London in a few weeks and i 've got a lovely little flat which is a wonderful hideaway that I have in, in, in London, in, in North London. And, uh, I'm dying to get back there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, and also to be honest with you, Jeremy, I've been alone most of my life. You know, I mean, I, I was alone from a very early age. I mean, my, my, my dad died when I was eight. My mother was institutionalized and I had this wonderful sister, which is one of the reasons I want to get back home who looked after me. And, uh, So I was always alone. It's a a common state with me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. What do you do when you're alone
0: think <laughs> meditate contemplate um uh, you know um and, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of you know work things you know you you, you, you. i'm i i'm constantly fascinated by the disappointment of the human experiment <laughs> and i and i i think to myself why have we all gone so bad? Why, why? is? But also, on the other hand, why do we do the most extraordinary things where you go, wow, that's amazing what that person has done. And yet you have, as we've had here with the, the horrible riots and the things that have been going on in this country and the craziness of this country. And then, of course, the craziness of the leader of this country, which matches almost the craziness of the leader of our country, you know, and so I, I, uh, yeah, I think a lot about that, you know. I think about how did we get to that state and why do we, why do we elect these stupid people? Why do we do that? Why do we actually, why have we allowed, and, and in the UK, of course, I'm, I'm very attracted to being independent, an independent Scottish person. I don't like the word nationalism, I hate that word, and so I, I, even though I'm a member of that party. But I just think to myself, you know, and, and, and this, is, this is something that I've contemplated all my life, I've, I've thought about, which is just why, who am I, and why do I do what I do? And why am I in the situation that I'm in? And what's, what has added up to that? Conditions, you know, the conditions of life that make you be in a certain way. And, and of course, the, the, the problem I've always had with you know the UK is this thing about everybody being in their place and everybody, you, you can be there and you can be there, but, you know, there's not much go between. You know, the, there's a little, um, you know, I, I still find it very futile in the UK I find that we are you know told what to believe and I I I I absolutely hate that which was one of the reasons another one of the reasons I came here but this is no better you know uh, my discovery in america is no better I, you know the egalitarian principle of america simply isn't practiced and so it's, it again it adds to the disappointment of the human experiment are you disappointed in yourself at all no not really I am uh, actually not disappointed in myself. I, I'm not saying that from a vanity point of view, but I, I think that I've, I've, you know, I've kept my antenna up. I've kept open about things, and I am open. And, I, and of course, it's my job to understand people's follies. That's what I'm doing, you know. I'm, I'm tr- I have to get behind the person I'm playing and understand how they've got to where they've got to.
1: You've already ventured into politics with your affirmation of the Scottish nationalist perspective. But you used to be noisy in the Labour Party, didn't you? And then you left.
0: Why? Why did I become disillusioned with the Labour Party? Well, Iraq, for a start. Uh, And uh, the deals that were done, and the the cow chine to the horrible, terrible administration of Rumsfeld and um, uh, Bush and uh, the man whose name (laughs) is gone now, who's the vice-president, who actually ran the show. Uh, what's he called? See, age. Uh, you know who I mean, Dick Cheney. You know, Cheney. So I, you know that, yeah, yeah, and that that whole thing. You know what what they did and what they what a fragile society that was and how we went in there with all guns blasting and not really and 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 really pursued, You know, uh, you know, uh, sort of prompted by avarice. So I, I found that really rather, and I found that Blair's kowtowing to that, rather reprehensible. And, and I thought also all those promises that he made and, and the fact that we had the biggest mandate ever. And we, you know, we did a lot of good, but also we wasted it. And when it came to foreign policy, we wasted it totally. And the fall of people like Robin Cook and... Uh, and Claire Short. I mean, all of those people that I, you know, who just fell by the wayside because of something which was completely untenable. Is there
1: anything that would tempt you to return to the Labour Party?
0: I, I, no, because it's the old paradigm. It, you know, until Labour frees itself from this kind of uh, the yoke of, you know, when it. it, it The socialist agenda is never really followed. It's always, always become compromised along the way. And that's what I feel, that's why I've thrown myself into Scotland because I do feel Scotland has the potential to start something afresh. And I do feel that the union is finished. I don't, I mean, and we see it clearly. I mean, why do we listen to people like Boris Johnson? And even more so, why do we listen to idiots like his father, Stanley? He you know, taught some biggest load of shite ever. Sorry, get <laughs> on. But I find that reprehensible, and I find it's the same old, same old. I've put up with that for 60 fucking years, and I'm fed up of it, quite frankly. You know, and and every time that there is the possibility of shifting the paradigm, we, we go we we buy into the whole business of you know what is successful in the House of Lords and all of that, which seems to be outmoded. And the country has suffered because of it. I mean, uh, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, who isn't the most, I mean, has the charisma of a of a failed geography teacher, but he, um, you know, his policies weren't all that bad. You know, there weren't bad policies. He was just the wrong man to carry him out. But, but, but when you see how he was rejected and how, you know, they got a majority of 80, the Tories, I mean, and, and particularly in the North, you go... What happened? Where did it go? What happened to the socialist idea that was supposed to free that part of the world, which is still under enormous yoke? And I I just despair.
1: Give me three policies that would make the Labour Party worth voting for.
0: Nationalising education. Uh, a lot of nationalising of the railways would help. <laughs> and also... Uh, well, greater equity in 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 how we deal with our national health. What do you mean? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, you mean what do I mean about the greater equity in national health? Well, we've you know we've we've used our national health as a sort of a, a, a kind of a mixture between a rugby ball and a football and a beach ball that we've knocked it around from pillar to post, and you know I think the national health has been treated really appallingly in terms of way it's become a football by each party in some kind of way. And I want to see an equity, a real leveling of what's going on so that we don't constantly use them as a sort of, you know, to serve our own uh, vain practices. And I've seen that, We've, I've witnessed that, you know, I've witnessed that and witnessed, you know, particularly the, the falling away in in, in in medical doctors. I mean, in Scotland, they've had a, they've had a real tough time, uh, you know, and, and, and also, I also think one of the things, too, is, uh, is the inclusiveness of, you know, we now, because I was rector of Dundee University, I saw how people, they were, were, you know, young doctors were not allowed to practice here anymore because of certain rules. So we sent away people who were very happy to be here and and make a contribution. And a lot of that went horribly wrong. And uh, I found that very sad that we didn't understand. And and people who believed in the national health, we, we weren't even kind of, Uh, citizens of of the UK so I and I found that our whole immigration policy is just Jeremy where do I begin it's it's so sort of it's so long-winded I'm just
1: astonished because to listen to you talk about equity when you were the rector of Dundee University and presumably therefore defended free tuition for Scottish students and making English students pay that stinks doesn't it
0: Oh, no, I, I was against, I, I wanted free education for all. I didn't want it just for, uh, and, and that, was my, uh, that was my bone of contention uh, throughout my time. As, my as time as, a bit as, much
1: as... listening to a foreign domicile person like yourself
0: sitting there in the United States talking about what's wrong with this country. Well, I'm not a foreign domicile person. I, I live between here and the UK. I spend as much time, in fact, I'm on my way back there now I do spend a lot of time in the UK. You know, you've got this idea and it's such a stupid idea. I'm sorry, Jeremy, no disrespect, but <laughs> it's such a fucking idiotic idea. It really is, of that we live in a certain kind of way. I mean it's it's pie in the sky time. You know, get real, man. You know, we, we have you know, we, we you know, we have things that we have to get on with and do. I don't I don't live in lap of luxury. I mean it's it's a sort of mythology and and it's never attracted me. I just like my job, and I like to do my job, and I'll go anywhere that facilitates my job. And it so happened I came here. I don't particularly like this country. I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a peripatetic. I, I I I'm here because I have two boys who go to school here, so I have to be here for them. To uh, I have an 18-year-old who's about to go to college, and I've got a, uh, a 16-year-old, 15-year-old rather, who's going to be 16 this year. Who's, you know, having real times in this very tough time with. Uh, online education, you know he's had to do summer school so he has to get up at eight o'clock every morning for nothing, for no reason, because he has to check in. So the system is pretty fucked up here. So I don't, I just like, I really want to put that idea out of there that I live in some kind of lap of luxury because I absolutely do not. And it's a myth. It's, it's kind of outmoded thinking of I may so, so, Jeremy.
1: Are you going to return to Scotland
0: then? I think I will eventually, yeah.
1: Would you like to be buried there?
0: Oh, I don't know where I'm going to be buried. It's not really my... Well, I do want to be buried. That's the one thing. I don't want to be cremated. That's the one thing I've said. And it's a bone of contention with everybody. I said, no, I want to be buried. I don't want to be cremated. I once thought... I I lived in Camden for years, and i got a lovely house in Camden. I still own it. But I thought, maybe I'd like to be buried in the backyard. (laughs) I mean, I, the, other thing, the other thing that galls me is I actually love England. I, you know, I've I worked in Nottingham, I've worked in Manchester, I've worked in some of the best repertory theatres, and also the theatre culture in England is pretty second to none. So that makes me sad, that I love England. I always have done. I am, you know, I'm not a hater of England, but I find it difficult to live there uh, from, for 24-7, because I can't bear these Freaking idiots like Johnson and and his team who just drive me crazy. But then I come here and I've got, you know, the pink Pinocchio, you know, who is... Well, you've got Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland. Do you think she's wonderful? I think she's pretty good. I think she's pretty straight. I think she's pretty down the line as a a person, as a woman. I really admire her. I think she's done an incredible job. And she's the only one when the, when the election was on, her and the Plaid Cymru lady as well, I'm the, I'm the green lady, were the only ones talking any sense, you know, whereas the rest were bumbling assholes. Sorry. <laughs> Brian, do you think your children understand you? No. No idea. Well, I mean, how can they understand me? I don't even understand them. <laughs> you know. I don't think so. I think they think I'm some kind of... I've always been a bit... You know, The only way I survived, Jeremy, was when I was a child. I had an incident where I was... I went to a fairly okay school, Catholic, Marist Brothers, um, primary school. But we had our villains and we had our bad guys, you know, as you do in any school. And I remember I was encouraged to fight this kid called Harry Carey, he was called, Henry Carey and henry was uh, he was probably as we would say probably autistic, and i was i I was pushed into a situation where I had to fight him and The only way I could get out of it was by beating myself up by literally hitting myself and throwing myself across the pavement i mean the the, the, the school floor the you know the schoolyard pavement and uh, and eventually everybody went away and left me alone, you know. Because I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy into it. So, so I've always, I've taken the refuge of the buffoon, which I'm very happy, or the idiot, and I'm very happy to 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 live in that area on occasion.
1: Brian Cox, thanks very much. Brian Cox, who is not the slightest bit like Logan Roy of the television series Succession. Such is the skill of a decent actor, I suppose. Next week I'm talking to someone you've almost certainly never heard of unless you happen to have got into difficulties at sea somewhere near Tor Bay, in which case you may have had your life saved by him. Mark Criddle is a decorated coxswain for the RNLI who spent literally decades heading out to sea and saving lives. It goes without saying that he's extraordinary and he's got a good few yarns up his sleeve too. Don't miss it. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus...